You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm uh, your horse host, Lou Rosenfeld. I'm uh, just getting over a, a bad cold, but not COVID, fortunately. But enough about me. I'm joined today by our newest author, Erica Jorgensen. Hi, Erica. Hello, Lou. Really great to have you. And we are just fresh off uh, day one of the launch of your book. Yes, I'm holding indeed. it here in it's, my hand. I'm holding a copy too. It's heavy. It's, They're smiling at what, each other. It is are, heavy. It's, it's but, heavy. It's 300 pages of information. But it's heavy in a good way. Uh, first of yes. all, let, let, let's start with the title, Strategic Content Design, <laughs> Tools and Research Techniques for Better UX, written by someone who, uh, with some uh, Seattle bias, really knows what she's talking about. You've been, um, you are currently uh, a, a staff content designer at Chewy, of which my cat is a customer, mm-hmm. but um, background in journalism and content design, content marketing, and, and has worked at Microsoft, Slack, Amazon, Starbucks, Nordstrom. Did I leave out any of the, uh, the Northwest? Uh, what a, wait, wait, wait a minute. What about um, uh, Lockheed? Aren't they up there? Or am I getting my airlines? Boeing. Co- no, oh, Boeing, not, Boeing, have, that's I right. I have not worked at Boeing nor REI, but like you mentioned, the heavy hitters of the Northwest, Microsoft, Microsoft, Starbucks, Nordstrom, Expedia. Uh, I was at oh, Amazon Expedia. And mm. Expedia. I was, yes, I was at Amazon in the startup years and Boomerang. So I saw, helped get Amazon off the ground when they were selling only books. I think a lot of people don't realize that that's how they started as an online bookstore. I have a story there, but we'll have to save it for another podcast. Oh, okay. I'm curious. Well, I'll just say um, I, I was the lead person designing what would have been Borders uh, Bookstore before Amazon launched. Oh, wow. But they decided it wasn't really a good direction to go in, and that we'll leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I, I am a fan of Borders. We were so scrappy and bootstrapped at Amazon that if we knew a book was going to be promoted somewhere like, you know, and later, later on, if something was at on Oprah.com or some big promotional push for a book and we did not yet have a review for it on the Amazon site, we would literally sprint to the Borders books a couple blocks away, scribble some notes on a, a notebook, you know, read the book, grab it off the shelf, either temporarily buy it and then return it or take some frantic notes in the aisle of the store and then run back to the office and write up a review very quickly. So we were thankful and in debt to Borders. For being a couple blocks away from the Amazon headquarters at the time. Ugh, borders. Well, I miss it. I, I think, love bookstores. I think we're both book people and word people, and your book is mm-hmm. about words and how they can be uh, more impactful in the context yes. of, of digital designs. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I'm really excited about with your book is that you put together a toolkit of user research Mm -hmm. methods all in Mm -hmm. one place for people Mm -hmm. working with words. And so it's not just a a book for content designers and UX writers and and content strategists and such content marketers as well. Let's throw them in, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a user researchers toolkit as well. To a certain degree, I, I get into stakeholder relationships in the book. I think I do not mean this to be a replacement for user researchers. They are our friends. Some of my, favorite coworkers of all time have been user researchers. I I try to emphasize that if you're going to do content research at your company, you should let your user researchers know, loop them in, 
don't weigh them down. Don't put this work on their shoulders, but let them know that this is something you want to undertake on your own mm-hmm. as much as you can. Take get their guidance, get their feedback, but you know, collaborate with them. Don't uh, don't step on their toes, but instead be very respectful of your user research colleagues. Yeah. So, in a sense, then um, this is a book that brings those tools to people who may not have been doing any kind of research in the past. Right. And there's, there's a hundred ways to do it. I think that's the wonderful part of it. And the overwhelming part is how do you do it? And you can use fancy online tools like user testing, user zoom or D scout user testing and user zoom are merging by the way, or you can get scrappy and tap the shoulders of your customer experience or customer service teammates and ask them what data do they have lying around that isn't being put to good use, whether it's voice of customer, chat bot transcripts. There's data all over the place in your company that's just screaming for your content team to dig into it and find insights that can help improve the user experience. Uh, I'm rubbing my hands together uh, with uh, the question, how about uh, search logs? Of course, at Amazon, that, that was one of the first early sources of super juicy customer insights is what are people looking for in your site? I think a lot of companies don't do a great job of maintaining search functionality on their website because they, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that often gets pushed aside, but that can be a very, that can be a gold mine of information, how people are spelling things or misspelling things. What are they looking for? What are the, uh, related products, related features? You know, there's a, there's all sorts of juicy information to be found there for sure. Well, there's a Rosenfeld media book on that, but let's not go there. Um, well, yeah, but I think that's that. I think the the interesting part, the complicated part of content research can be that it will open up a can of worms, many cans of worms. Well, let's that, talk about a know, can of worms. I mean, like, let's talk let, about the cans of worms. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a content person. I, I've been at this for a while. Maybe I, I came out of some, you know, non digital or non UXy space, non product space. Maybe I was a journalist. Uh, Sure. Thinking on my wife here. Now I've, um, I, I'm doing this kind of work. And w- first of all, what's the pressure on me to start doing more robust research? Why, why do I need to be doing this and why now? Well, you know what happens when you assume mm. that old saying. Uh, I think often the words and phrases used all over your website or app are, you're assuming that they're effective. Maybe they've been there for years and years and no one's thought twice about them. You can think twice. You can be the person who thinks twice and digs in and asks, well, how do we know this is working? What data do we have? What proof do we have that these are the right words and phrases? I think A-B experiments are great ways to dig in and find out, oh, you know, version A and version B, version B might be more engaging and therefore driving more revenue engagement, click through all that. And I'm thinking of e-commerce as Mm -hmm. a typical use case. But do you really know? How do the words get into your style guide? Someone put them there. How do they know what words to put in there? I'm sure as a content professional, you're savvy about writing, you think about voice and tone, but it's great to validate your most important content through content research. And I have an example of that that I can share. Let's do it. Um, yeah, someone in my book, um, very uh, kind content designer named Tracy Vandigam, who works for a company called Zipline. Uh, it's a drone, it's a drone company. She saw me present at Button a couple of years ago and was inspired to dig into one of the words that was all over her website. Uh, and it's upper field, upper field, which is a word that they were then using to describe the group of people who they oversee different field locations, meaning that you know drones can cover different areas of land. Upper field, 
upper field, upper field. And it was all over her website. And as a new person, when you start a job, you don't want to question like, oh, well, that, that was one of the words that it, it rubbed her the wrong way. Like, mm, like her spidey sense was going off about this word. But because it was so pervasive, she assumed initially that this word is okay. This word is in the style guide. It must be okay to use. But inspired by my talk at Button, thank you, Tracy. She went back to the office and dug in a little bit using, I believe she's used your testing. She did a, a one-two punch of, a quantitative multiple choice question about what word you, would you use to describe this thing? And she used upper field, field leaders, I'm not sure, or other. Just a simple multiple choice question to send to, I think about 75 of her customers. And then she asked them, why would you choose that? Tell me what you think about that word. Mm -hmm. And what she found was not only were people really confused about that word to the point where they were less likely to buy this related feature for their website, but a lot of people thought, um, not a lot, but enough people thought it was actually a directional, a UX directional, like upper field of your screen or upper field, like upper corner of your, if you're looking at your cell phone, like they, they were so confused by the, by the word they thought it meant something completely different. And then a lot of people thought it was also classist, like upper, upper sounded superior, a little condescending. Mm. And even, you know, like the classist element of it, people expressed deep discomfort with this term. So she dug in and realized that this was, this is a problem. So she did the what question, she did a follow-up with the why question, which is to me the magic formula. And she got a little pie chart of how many people were really not cool with that term. They replaced it with field leaders, which was more sensitive, more, uh, more inclusive. Mm -hmm. And she could see immediately once that was replaced, she could see in user tests and on the website and on the app, the engagement was stronger because they changed this pervasive word that had been on the website for years and years with something more clear. And they changed it in the training materials, the help documentation, you know, marketing all over the place. It takes work to do that kind of wholesale change. So you have to prepare when you're doing content testing and content research to engage all of your company if you discover insights that indicate that you need to change things comprehensively across all of your customer facing content and internal content too. Wow. So um, she trusted her instinct. The test, the, the mm -hmm. test wasn't that hard. It sounds like. No, nope, it just took a few minutes. And that's, I think the beauty, the beauty of content research is you can get insights in minutes. I think user testing, user zoom, if you are able to get your company to uh, invest in a platform like that, fantastic. If you can't, get yourself a trial and mm -hmm. try it out and see what you find. It can be very eye-opening. And I think the fun part that I didn't mention about Tracy's research was she shared the, the results of the test with her company on Slack. And then eye-popping emojis started getting, like people's reaction was the, the brain exploding eye-popping emoji because people couldn't believe it. But there it is, plain as day in the qualitative feedback, people saying, this is, I think, is offensive. And I didn't know how to tell you, like, people aren't going to email your company and say, that word you have all over your app is offensive to me. They're not going to do that. You need to do this digging and understand what your customers well, are thinking. They, they won't let the company know, but they'll blast the company about it on Twitter, probably. Um, they might, or they might just keep it to themselves or go and to not, the competition. And not make a purchase. Or, they yeah, might just right. see, you know, it's, it's one of those things, this, it just kind of digs at you a little bit. But if you see it repeatedly day after day or week after week, it's going to bug you. And these are the things that can lead to customer attrition that you might lose. You might right. lose your customers. They might go to the competition. 
if you have a lot of this is just one word, there might be more of these examples across your website and app so, and contact. So let's compare what she did with what mm-hmm. would have happened if she again trusted her spidey sense but didn't have mm-hmm. access to these tools and methods. Yeah. Yeah. She could do competitive analysis. She could see what her competition. I don't think there's a lot of competition for this particular company, but she could see what her competitors are using. You can do SEO related searching to see, you know, what are what are the terms you can do Google, Google Trends or online tools that you can use to see what search terms people are using, mm-hmm. a hrefs, um, that kind of thing to see what people are searching for. And that's that's helpful too. But I think what happens actually in, in many cases is no tools get used. The content person says, hey, should we be using this word? And what happens? Yeah. Nothing, right? Nothing. Well, you have to rebel rouse a little bit or, I mean, people who work in content are often so spread thin and overextended, like you're at 200% of capacity right. for sprint, for example. It's hard to to make time to do this kind of investigative work, but... To me, it's more valuable, a more valuable use of your time than say, this is my pet peeve, this is my high horse here, wrap up office hours. If you could avoid office hours and replace that time two or three hours a week that you're spending in office hours and devote that to content research, my hunch is your company will be better off. Your content team will show greater impact. Your customers will be happier. I mean, office hours have their time in place. I think a lot of companies are rebranding office hours as you know content, time with content, design team or they're re- rebranding it because office hours sound pedantic and academic and all that. So um, it's a, uh, I don't know, I think it's it's good to look at the how you're spending your time. How might you be spending your time more wisely for more impact and influence? Well, Erica, you just saved uh, a lot of people listening a little bit of time. It's got a nice Maybe, multiplier well, effect. You, you got to talk to your manager and see, is it okay? Is it cool if you uh, cancel office hours, like at least one week a month or cancel them outright for a quarter and see what happens. Right. Well, speaking yeah. of time, we're going to take a mm-hmm. quick break. Okay, cool. And we'll be right back. Everyone, you are listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Hey, it's Lou. Uh, what am I promoting this time? A new conference, Enterprise UX 2023. Wait a minute. You've heard of Enterprise UX before. Yep. That's the name of the conference. First big one we ever did. Back in 2015, we're bringing it back in 2023. Why? Because people who work in large enterprises, whether you're a designer, a researcher, a writer, are struggling to amplify uh, your impact, struggling to scale up for enterprise class challenges. But there's all these great new tools and techniques and practices that are maturing that can help you do that scaling up. One is systems thinking, another is information architecture, another is AI, another is designing with data. Those are the four themes we're covering in Enterprise UX 2023 virtual conference taking place June 6th and June 7th. We're going to dig deeply into each of those four areas in ways that help you learn from them, benefit from them, but do so without destroying the planet because they are scary if in the wrong hands. So come join us at Enterprise UX 2023. We've also got a couple of great keynoters, Greg Petroff and Aveta Sampson joining us. I hope you'll join us too.
Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm here with Erica Jorgensen, fresh off releasing her new book, Strategic Content Design, Tools and Research Techniques for Better UX. So, Erica, you've got all these tools, you've got all these techniques. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's overwhelming, although you've done a really great job in the book of organizing them. But Mm -hmm. the, the, the kind of overwhelmment that I think maybe a lot of people might be reading a book like this or in the field of, of content strategy and design yeah. are facing is um, where do they begin? So it, the story you told yeah. about Tracy uh, before the break where her spidey sense went off and, and she investigated that term uh, mm-hmm. upper field uh, was really beneficial. But I, I imagine a lot of people um, who could benefit from your book are, are, they're trying to boil the ocean. I mean, there's like so many of those potential terms yeah. or situations yeah. where this this kind of approach of this testing or data-driven approach will help. Where, where do you begin? Yeah. It depends. It depends. But you can think about if you're launching, think about your quarterly plans or your sprints. If your company's organized in that way and your product team is doing work in that way, what's the most important thing you're doing this quarter for this year? That project has content, right? What about that content might be unclear or might be worth digging into? New new initiatives, important launches, um, the focus for your company now is a great place to start. You can also look at um, if your customer service team is seeing complaints or confusion around certain terms. If they use Zendesk, they're going to have a pie chart of, oh, you know, X percent of customer calls are about XYZ. What about that is unclear? That's a juicy place to start. Um, I think anything related to your brand, if you have key products or features that you want your customers to buy or they are using, dig into those and see what words are spiking your spidey sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's probably going to be hundreds of them and you need to make a backlog and dig in, pace yourself. I think um, like Tracy saw when she ran that test, a whole bunch of people at her company were like, let's do more of this. The good part about content research is it is it creates a bunch of energy. A lot of you'll have this wellspring of attention, and that's great. But you also need to, I think, of the Heisman Trophy of a football player holding the football and sticking his arm out and like pushing people away. You also have to draw boundaries and say, okay, I can't. This could be my full time job. It isn't. Is ten percent of your time going to be content testing? Build it into your sprint cycle so you have a devoted chunk of your time to this so it doesn't turn into 100% of your job. I found when I was at Microsoft on the Global Demand Center team, I was doing a lot of content testing and a lot of people on my team didn't know how to do it and I was helping them. I had to take an each one teach one approach and help people learn how to do it so it was, I wasn't the only one doing it. Right. And that was um, that was great. More people learned, more people did it. And then we'd have you know monthly meetings where we share the insights and the general manager was like, this is great, shared with the corporate vice president this is um fascinating information that is increasing customer engagement leading to more revenue all that is great but protect your time protect your sanity by fighting off what you can chew and making a backlog and pacing yourself so um what's the role of audits in all this as a way to prioritize the work audits are so great can i name drop paula land because her book about audits is i think it's coming out in the next month or two um, Paula is the audit expert in content strategy land and also the organizer of content strategy Seattle. So I see her every now and then. Um, audits are a great way to get 
the lay of the land or you know an ecosystem mapping of what, what content do you have and where you'll be super surprised at content that you uncover when you do an audit that no one's touched or gets very little attention and love. That's that's another can of can I use a can of worms analogy that or image that there's so much content that companies launch that they don't provide care and feeding for it. You're, you're going to find a lot when you do an audit. What content types are you doing? Mm -hmm. Videos, uh, you know, high maintenance, high expense content. Content that's expensive to create is what I mean. Um, there's so much content out there that might need refreshing or might be outdated. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you have to pace yourself. Content audits are great, but also reveal um, gaps, gaps in your in your product teams functioning. And that can be seen as critical of a content team. Like, well, why is this like this? You know, I think um, oftentimes when you share results of a content audit, you're going to hear complaints from people who say, well, how did it get to be this bad? Well, look at the ratio of your content team staffing. If you have 20 product managers and two content strategists or content designers, you've got a problem. So to me, you have to gird yourself and have a thick skin when you're doing that kind of activity and make sure that you're presenting your team's work in the most flattering way possible. You're working very hard and you want to get credit for that. You don't want these activities to be seen as like a weakness of your team. That is a risk. And that's something I get into in the book. Well, I think what's interesting here for me especially is, well, it's a lot, but what you're saying are some of these tools are, are going to open up a can of worms that's a good can of worms, right? I mean, it can for be a, a very good can of worms that gets you promoted, or like my coworker Trudy, who is saving Microsoft two million dollars a year from her content research. Um, I think that's in the book introduction. She's saving Microsoft mm -hmm. two million dollars a year thanks to content research that showed a content gap. Absolutely. So you are, uh, you know, you're gonna. I guess the 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 the, the buyer beware is that uh, Erica's book is going to help you make progress, but also expose problems that are going to take yeah. more than, than you or your team or the resources you have at your disposal and are going to really be uh, something that you have to bring back to the organizational level. And mm -hmm. that might not be what you had in mind when you took the job or when you went into this field. But if the field mm -hmm. is going to progress, if it is going to become more established and, and, uh, and more valued, course mm -hmm. um you have to be able to have these conversations yep it's hard i think uh building a thick skin is a skill that content designers unfortunately need but um but i think the payoff is so great when you find something like what tracy found that's offending your customers that that um and then you can fix it and then reap the rewards of that improvement it's you know iterative iterative improvement is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I think as you do more content testing, more people on your team, your product managers, your your product designers, your user researchers, your engineers will say, hey, we should do content testing on this. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, we should. I love when marketing teams reach out to me and say, I want to do, I want to do more content testing because marketing, oftentimes content teams see the content that their marketing teams create is in perpendicular is like perpendicular to the content mm -hmm. in the UX. It's it's you know meant to sell. It's a little fluffy or a lot fluffy um, marketing content. If that can be content tested, that will make your life as a content designer or content strategist easier. Maybe your PR team will want to do content testing too. Everyone gets in on it, and then content is improved across the board at your company, and that's a very good thing. I sound like Martha Stewart. I, well, I I mean um. 
I think uh, anyone who's been around the block in, in any of these fields is going to have their heart warm. Or let me just say my heart is warmed when I hear... Uh, it's empowering. Like, well, I mean, when when it, the engineer says we need content testing or the marketing Love person it. or... This is yeah. mm -hmm. this is all that that lovely intersection of all these interesting people and the interesting and and powerful tools and experiences and perspectives that they bring coming together and creating something that is much greater than the, the sum of the parts. So yeah. I really like to think that you know your book is a great example of that, and uh, I really appreciate talking with you about it today. And all, and more importantly, Thank all you. the effort you you put into her writing it this last year or two. Thank you. And power to the content designers and content strategists out there. Uh, I hope my intent for writing the book was to, to help lift us up. It's hard working in content, but it shouldn't be. We should be staffed at parity with product managers, product designers, user researchers. The world would be a better place if there were more content designers. Let's just Amen, sister. And that's that's why I wrote the book. But power to them, but also before we wrap up, a gift to them and to all of our listeners. What did you bring us? The gift that I brought. Um, a book, an oh, article. The, the book that I want. Yeah. I, oh, you know, I think I I mentioned so many books in my book because my oh my gosh, my bookshelves are overflowing with books that I that I tap when I do my work on a day to day basis. But one of my favorite books that I want to flag to everyone listening is uh, a reader's brain, how neuroscience can make you a better writer. And it's by a college professor named Yellowese Douglas, Y-E-L-L-O-W-L-E-S is her first name. Mm -hmm. Yellowese Douglas, PhD. Um, it is an amazing book that gets into syntax and sentence structure and how you can drive clarity in your writing through, you know, it's really a, a nerdy, nerdy word book. Um, for grammar nerds, but shows how difficult it is to write clearly. You know, um, it's another way I think that content strategists and content designers can use our superpowers for good. And there's so many parts of your brain that are required to to read. And this book gets into the complexity of understanding words in print, words on the screen. It's cognitive load. It's friction. And when you write clearly, which is so difficult to do. Um, that's a great thing. And the book is short and sweet, um, chock full of wonderful information. Uh, Yellow Lease is revising this book. It's, I think, an updated version is due out, I think, next year, but it's available on Amazon. The Reader's Brain, How Neuroscience Can Make You a Better Writer. Thumbs up to Yellow Fantastic. Uh, for word nerds, but maybe for more. So, And I've shared this with marketers and PMs, too. I've shared this book, and they go, whoa. It, it shines a light on the complexity of working with words. And how writing well is so difficult and not just anyone can do it. Yeah, everyone can write, but not everyone can write well. So when I hear everyone can write, I just I tell me it. about it. And then I give them a copy of this book and say, hey, go read this. <laughs> Erica, it's a pleasure talking with you. Everyone listening. Thank you. Thank you for joining us as well. And do yourself a favor. Pick up a copy of Erica's new book. Just came out yesterday, which was April 11th, 2023. Strategic Content Design tools, and research techniques for better UX. Thanks again, Erica. Thank you, Lou. Have a great day. Hey, it's Lou. Thank you for listening to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. I really appreciate it. I would love to hear from you. And if you want to pop me an email, lou at rosenfeldmedia.com. Tell me what you thought. Better yet, 
Leave Me the Hell Alone and post a review on your favorite podcast platform. Please feed the algorithm. It really does make a difference. We want to get the word out. If you like the word, give us a hand. And uh, while I'm asking you for favors, don't forget, buy books. Support your favorite local independent publisher. We happen to be one, rosenfeldmedia.com. All those great UX books are there. So thanks again.